Hey, it's Scott Petrak with another edition of the Brown Zone Zone Coverage Podcast. We haven't talked to you in a week, so we have a lot to catch up on. We have the Super Bowl to preview. We have Hugh Jackson in the news, Odell Beckham Jr., and a few other things to discuss. Here to do it with me, as always, is Dave Chodowski of Go, the WKYC Morning News. Chud, how are you? Scott, my... Uh... You know, my ego's bruised a little bit. I've been taking on Austin Love in the uh, Austin and Dave Winter Olympic Showdown on Go. And, uh, you know, it's for a good cause. Uh, I did a story on Monday about my nephew, Garrett, who has Down syndrome. And uh, Austin did uh, a story on his mom and charity he's working on for myeloma cancer research. And uh, we each did our story Monday, Tuesday. Then we did our competition Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. I got him Wednesday in curling, lost a tough one in hockey with the Monsters on Thursday, and then today came down to speed skating, and I'll just let you guys go online and, and check that out if you want to see how that turned out, but it was a pretty epic ending. Uh, didn't turn out in favor for me, but you know, you wouldn't have, uh, this is what I always say, Scott, you wouldn't have Friday if you didn't have Monday, and you wouldn't have winning if you didn't have losing, right? You got to <laughs> lose to appreciate the wins. So uh, <laughs> it's uh, it's been busy on our show with the Olympics. I mean, this weekend, how about this? On Sunday, 18 straight hours of Olympic and Super Bowl programming on NBC. So it's been crazy. I mean, it, the, the, the Winter Olympics and the Super Bowl have never been on at the same yeah. time. So, it, you know, it's crazy. You're going to go from Olympic coverage in the morning to Super Bowl coverage at noon to the Super Bowl and then Olympic coverage after. So uh, it's a busy time right now. Yeah. With the peacock i guess i'll have something to do on sunday um i gotta tell you first <laughs> of all first of all i i'm not sure there's anybody that watches more curling than i do um secondly i can't wait to go check out your video and i just have to ask are you wearing one of the skin tight outfits that the uh real speed skaters are scott i'm sorry to say we are oh my yeah. god all right yeah, yeah. all right do you have it's, an x uh... do you have an r rating with this video or is it all right <laughs> Yeah, it's, you know, it, you know what, it didn't come out as bad as I thought it would, but, uh, you know, I had, uh, but back to the curling though, man, you got to go see that piece and got to see my last shot. It was the, sh it was the shot of a lifetime. I landed it right on the button oh, nice. and, uh, yeah, sudden death. So that was, that was a lot of fun, but like I said, all for charity. Uh, I was playing for Gigi's Playhouse, which is incredible all across the country, but here in Cleveland. And uh, Calvado Brothers donated money to them for uh, our competition. So it was a lot of fun. And um, I'm just, uh, you know, it was a long week, but, uh, you know, it's over and now we move on. But I got to bring this up. We haven't spoken since the AFC NFC Championship yeah. week. And it's incredible uh, what a weekend again it was. And, you know, it's funny. I did a little uh that kind of fun thing with my buddies and we bet on the line and the over under this is how crazy the nfl is i went four and oh on the line and the over unders i did not get one wrong i, I hit both over unders and both lines but yet predicted the winners of each game wrong with yeah. you on the podcast wow. i mean that's how how close and crazy it was you know yeah yeah i know it, it, we've talked about this it's tough to feel bad about getting a pick wrong when they're so close like that, right? Um, you know, I mean, I, so that meant you had the Bengals plus the points, but thought Kansas City would win, and obviously the Bengals go ahead and win. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, they've been great games, and I, I'm still, you know, we've had almost two weeks to digest it, but I'm still a little stunned at what happened to that Chiefs offense in the second half. Um, yeah. You know, and it probably started with that play at the end of the first half, right? Mahomes, I don't know what he was doing, throwing it behind, you know, not into the end zone, no timeouts to Tyree Kill. You got to get at least three there. And it felt like, man, it probably won't matter because they were up by so much, but then they don't do anything in the second half. Cincinnati dropped eight in coverage, and for whatever reason, Mahomes and Reed couldn't figure it out um, or couldn't adjust well enough. So, you know, and then Burrow makes enough plays. But I, I'm just stunned for as, as good as the Chiefs looked against Buffalo and then in the first half against Cincinnati that it flipped on its head so quickly. Um, it's, it's still a stunner to me. And, and that goes to show you, you know, you think in the in the first half, if you pick the Chiefs to win, you got it right. right. And then the 49ers were up by 10, right, in the fourth yeah. quarter. I mean, they got outscored 13 nothing in the fourth, right? So, yeah, yeah. I mean, both games were were very tight. Uh, and, and we talked about that on the podcast. We said we said that, you know, we wouldn't be utterly shocked if Cincinnati won. We didn't predict it and we didn't think it was going to happen, but. It, I don't think anything would have shocked you. That, that would have been the biggest shock of the four, four teams winning, I yeah. think. And, and sure enough, they did it. Um, yeah. 49ers were close. You know, whenever a team's up 21 to three, Scott, I have, I have flashbacks and heart palpitations to the 85 Browns Dolphins yeah. playoff yeah. game. Remember that? I do. Oh, yeah, that was the first, um, <laughs> the first of what, four in a row, right? I remember. Yeah. yeah I remember that game. The, you know, it was Bernie's rookie year. Um, if they had won, held on to win that game, then I think they would have hosted the Raiders um, with the tri- with the chance to go to the Super Bowl, um, and then it got away from them. But yeah, you're right, twenty-one to three. It's um, you know, which obviously is not quite as bad as the twenty-eight to three Falcons nightmare in the Super Bowl to the Patriots. But yeah, that was a, that was a tough one. Yeah. Well, so here we are. Uh, we could talk Super Bowl here in a little bit, but uh, you uh, wanted to get into some Browns. Nuggets. Before I do that, anything more on those two games or we move on? No, I'm good. I'm good. Yeah. Let's talk Hugh Jackson. Uh, obviously, with the Flores situation in Miami, obviously, you know, it's funny. Hugh doesn't come out with this until this happens, right? Yep. But this, this is when he chooses to do so. But, uh, you know, you wanted to talk a little Hugh Jackson here. Yeah. I mean, just because we haven't, we haven't done one of these in a couple of weeks, I thought it was obviously it's the Browns or it's the newsiest Brown stuff from the last couple of weeks. So I thought we, you know, should address it. Um, it's, it's interesting. And my, my biggest takeaway, cause there's so many, so many layers to this, but my biggest takeaway is that it's not the same situation as Brian Flores, right? Brian Flores situation that he's alleging in Miami is the owner offered to pay him a hundred thousand dollars per loss in, I think it was 2019. And Flores either said, Flores says he said no, right? They tried to win. The Dolphins, the ownership wanted the number one pick, um, which wound up being Joe Burrow. Flores tried to win games. They wound up winning five games, got the fifth pick, and took Tua. Uh, you know, probably should have taken Justin Herbert there, but wound up taking Tua. Flores said it created a bad environment. Um, the you know, ownership, kind of treated him poorly after that. Then he goes, then he puts a winning record up the next two years, he gets fired anyway. Um, Hugh Jackson, 
and it took him a while to get here, right? And it, it did, Flores filed a lawsuit a week ago Tuesday. So it's that uh, February 1st, I want to say. Um, so then that night, Hugh Jackson's on Twitter. Um, the head of his Hugh Jackson Foundation is on Twitter and connecting themselves to the Flores situation and saying, yeah, that Jimmy, at least suggesting that he was paid to lose. Well, that's serious, right? I mean, the NFL is going to investigate the Dolphins situation. They're also say they're going to investigate the Brown situation. Um, then he goes on a slew of ESPN shows. He winds up going on CNN with Anderson Cooper and says, eventually says, yes, our situations are different. Him and Brian Flores. And, and that's the key here because we can have a long discussion about whether tanking is good, right? And whether teams that, and it's in any sport, we see it in baseball, we see it in football, we see it in the NBA, certainly. Um, where teams, you know, tear down the roster in an attempt to either save money and or get better draft picks. Um, we can have a discussion about whether that's good or bad, but there's a difference between constructing your team so you don't have the best chance to win versus trying to lose on a given Sunday. And I think that's a huge difference. I really do. I'm not a huge, I'm not a fan of tanking. I think you should try to win. I think that's the point of sports. I think, you know, while there are plenty of examples to say, yes, tanking works, right? We look at LeBron, um, you know, you can look at other examples, but LeBron jumps to my head. Um, I, I, I don't think you should be re rewarded for that. I think, you know, kind of from a karma perspective, it, it doesn't do you any good. I think you're better off always trying to win games. And people will fight with me on that, but that's how I feel. But if the system is set up like this, and maybe this will prompt a change, maybe the NFL will go to a draft lottery like the NBA. So going one in 15 isn't necessarily better than going two and 14, right? Like, I think that's on the table. I don't know if that'll change or not, but I think it is on the table. Um, but there's a huge difference between, hey, we're going to be really young and probably bad for a couple of years, but we're aiming to win in X year versus, hey, we're going to go out on Sunday and I don't want you to play our best players. And late in the fourth quarter, I don't want you to kick a field goal to win the game, right? Like those kinds of things, that's, in Hugh Jackson used the word, that's fraud, right? We talk about point shaving and throwing games. And those are the biggest issues in sports history. Joe Jackson, right? And Pete Rose, who I don't think was ever found of throwing a game, he just bet on games. The point is that, affects the whole integrity of sports. And I think there's a difference. I, I think the coach and the players are supposed to do everything they can to win on Sundays. And if the owner of the Dolphins was saying that's not the case to Brian Flores, he should not have an NFL team. But I don't think the Browns approach that. I think they, first of all, I think they're too smart to set it up like that at all. But I think they tore down the roster, knew they were going to be bad, and the money, the bonus money that Hugh Jackson says he received, and he put a number on, he said it was $750,000 for the first two years. That was because they knew the team was going to be bad. It wasn't to, hey, go out and lose. It was, hey, we're going to be bad. This kind of softens the blow. And then they gave, then ownership gave Hugh Jackson an extension while he's going one in 31. So they knew that the team was going to be bad. Now, Hugh's big case is, hey, when I took the job, I didn't know we were going to have this you know, huge rebuild. And I don't know whether I should believe him on that or not, because it seemed pretty obvious. Um, but I, I just think, I hope I'm making this good. I just think there's a huge distinction. And Hugh eventually said that 
But there were a couple of days there where he put the Browns in a really bad light and the Browns came out strong and said it was categorically false. And um, it, it's just interesting. And I think it's at least a bad taste. And it reminds me of Hugh's time here, which is not a good time. And I don't think he handled stuff well back then. And I certainly don't think he handled this well. Always interesting with the, the tanking aspect because, I mean, do you think the players feel that way? I mean, it, do you think it's more just the assemblance of the roster? I, I understand that the players, it's, it's hard to get motivated when the culture, the locker room and such is, is what it is. But, you know, you, sometimes you have players playing for contracts and pride. Right. And I mean, do, do you think players throw games? I don't. I don't. And I, Chad, I think that's the big, I think that's a big difference. I think you have to go into that locker room and you have to tell these guys, we're doing everything we can to win this week. Because first of all, the risk that they put their bodies, uh, you know, the risk that physically they go through on a daily, weekly basis is too much to go out there and try to lose game. Right. Um, and, and I don't think, I don't think guys would play for you. It's just, it just doesn't set up like that, especially in the NFL, which is what we're talking about. Um, I think that's why the, the Flory's allegations about the Dolphins is so critical and kind of so against everything that the league and sports stands for, because you're asking these guys to risk their bodies, right? When we see guys get carried off on stretcher, right? You see concussions, you see the CTE that affects these guys years and years later, right? Decades later and really messes up their lives. And you're going to say, hey, this game means nothing, right? It, it, it's just you can't do that. So that's why the suggestion of it and the allegation of it is so strong. It needs to be investigated. Um, so, no, your coaches have to be trying to win every game. Your players have to be trying to win every game. Now, if your front office knowingly puts out a, an inferior roster, you know, you can argue that that's unfair to the fans that are paying their money. Um but as long as the goal is to win every week, as opposed to, you know, this big picture rebuild goal, I do think there's a significant difference there. But I would also argue that there's probably something wrong with a system that benefits and even can encourage purposely losing, right? Not purposely losing like tanking, not like throwing games, but purposefully losing like, hey, we're going to put the youngest roster on the field and have a unproven, you know, I mean, what was that? The Browns had no quarterbacks with any wins, right? Wasn't there a year where they had no quarterbacks with any NFL wins or any NFL experience, whatever it was, you know, the Deshaun Kaiser, Cody Kessler year. Um, there's a difference to that um, versus, Hey, we're just going to hey, go throw four interceptions. So we make sure we lose this game. Like there's a huge difference. Um, but I, I still am not a fan of even encouraging losing for a year or two. And we see it in baseball, we saw, you know, Houston did that and they tore down and they come back and win the World Series. Um, you see it in the NBA all the time where teams try to get the top pick in the draft because one player means so much more in the NBA. Um, it, it just doesn't sit right with me, right? And you have the slogans, right? Tank for whoever and lose for this guy and, you know, suck for luck and all those kind of things. So it's been around for a while and it's never sat well with me. And I think this will put a big spotlight on it and maybe it will change. Um, maybe, you you know, and I understand that the one of the beauties of sports and especially the NFL is, hey, if you're bad and you get that number one pick, you feel like you can flip things around. But 
maybe the, you know maybe a better system is you throw all 32 teams in the hopper and you pick and that that's the draft order so there's no incentive to be bad there's no incentive to go one in 15 or now it's one in 16 or even to lose a game in the final week right we saw the eagles kind of tank a game a couple of years ago mm-hmm. the finale right like and it just doesn't sit well um and maybe it sounds hypocritical right maybe it sounds hypocritical the tanking versus the throwing um but i do think there's a line but i'm not a fan of either i just think one is illegal but you're you're saying put all the teams that don't make the playoffs in, not you wouldn't put you know the super bowl team in with those i don't know chud i I think there's i I think it i think all the non-playoff teams would would be easier to accept for a lot of people um, but I'm not sure hey, why should the Super Bowl team be hurt, right? I mean, they did everything they should have done. You know, why are we, why are we rewarding mediocrity or why are we rewarding losing? Um, you know, if there's an argument to be made to you give the number one pick to the top team that doesn't make the playoffs, right? Which means they tried awfully hard to get there and just didn't do it. And I think there's some, I think that's an interesting theory. Um, and it would take some adjustment, right? If you threw all 32 teams in the hopper, it would take an adjustment for the league, for fans, right? Because all of a sudden, that rebuilding project for your team's bad could take a lot longer. Um, but I'm not sure. And, I, you know, I've thought about this, but I haven't done research or I haven't spent hours thinking about it. Um, I, I'm not sure that that's not the better way to go if you really feel like tanking has become – a big problem in your, in your league. All right, let's move on to other Browns news. Anything you uh, want to hit here? Yeah, just real quick. Um, and I'm on vacation, so I didn't even have any written about some of these things, but I think they're worth mentioning. Ryan Grigson, who is a senior advisor to GM Andrew Barry, and Grigson is a former Colts GM, um, followed Quasi Adolfo Mensa to Minnesota, to the Vikings. He's going to be a senior personnel guy. Um, and I, and I thought Grigson could be a guy for the Browns that stepped into Quasey's role. So, you know, that's two, that's two top lieutenants for Andrew Bayer that have left. Um, so you have to keep an eye on how he, re, how he replenishes that front office. Um, I know those are two guys he really trusted. So that's something to keep an eye on. Um, Chris Kiffin, the D-line coach, had left a month ago to go coach at University of Mississippi with his brother Lane. Kiffin. Um, and then he came back. <laughs> he came back yesterday to the Browns. He's going to be the D-line coach again. Apparently. Yeah, what he, happened there? Any yeah, idea? Yeah, I do. Hang on one second. I'm trying to figure out. Um, I'm trying to find that text that I got about it. Um, yeah, it's just weird, right? Apparently he loves Cleveland, wanted to decided he wanted to stay in the NFL as opposed to college. Browns are happy to have him back. So um, it's interesting, you know, I mean, did he go down there and man, I get re- this recruiting is too much. Did he realize there weren't any Miles Garretts right, running around for the Rebels? Um, or did he just, you know, or did he just think, hey, you know what? You think, hey, I'm going to go work for my brother and it's not everything you thought. Or, you know, there's just the college job is different than the NFL job. So um, it's interesting. But I think, you know, obviously the Browns have not hired anybody to replace him. So there'll be less turnover on the coaching staff for sure. So I, I think... That's a good move for the Browns. And then the last thing is, you know, in this time of, you know, the NFL is getting killed for a lack of diversity at 
position, right? In key positions, head coach, general managers, inside the league office. Um, the Browns were given a reward, yet, or an award, an award yesterday for their diversity. Um, you know, it came from the, it's a John B. Wooten Award by the Fritz Pollard Alliance. And, you know, the Browns are out there to accept the award in LA. It was J.W. Johnson, part of the ownership. Um, but, you know, of all the bad things that the Browns have done from an on-field perspective, um, the Hasms have been really good about diversity. And, you know, Andrew Barry is one of the few GMs that's, uh, you know, one of the few minority GMs. And he's done a good job hiring other minorities. You look at the coaching staff with Joe Woods, the defense coordinator, Callie Brownson, right? Kevin Stefanski's chief of staff is one of the few um, female assistant coaches in the league, people on, you know, women on coaching staffs across the league. So um, the Browns are proud of that award. Absolutely. Okay. You ready to get to the Super Bowl? Or you got anything else? No, I'm good. Let's go. Let's talk Super Bowl real quick. Well, my first question for you is I had a conversation with someone the other day and you know, what has happened? Are we supposed to be rooting for the Bengals <laughs> because they're from Ohio? I, what is going on? Like, I, I, you know, growing up, listen, w- when we grew up, Steelers were the most hated, then the Bengals, you hated the Houston Oilers because, you know, they were in your division and, and, uh, you know, they had a lot of history, some playoff battles with them, but you know, then the Ravens, obviously now it's the Steelers and Ravens are at one level. And I always feel like the Bengals have been at another level. Right. But they're still Ohio. They're still your rival in your division. You hate the Bengals, right? But I'm getting a sense. And is it the OBJ factor? Now, maybe my question is, if OBJ wasn't on the Rams, would this not? But what what's going on here? Like, should should Browns fans be rooting for the Bengals? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I can't get my head around it either, Chud. It's one of the three biggest rivals, right? Currently, I mean, they're your division rivals. Um, in-state rival, Battle of Ohio, all of it, right? The history, Paul Brown. Um, the Bengals have been to two Super Bowls. Now it's three. The Browns have not been to a Super Bowl. Um, so, right. yeah, so I, I don't get it. Um, I think if you're more of a fringe fan, it makes sense. You know, hey, it's an Ohio team. You know, I know my wife and daughter are sitting there. Oh, you know, Cincinnati, they're Ohio. Um, obviously, my daughter's not a huge Browns fan slash football fan, so – I can kind of get that, but I think if you are really into it, it doesn't make sense to root for the Bengals. You see them twice a year. How do you, how would you enjoy that? Um, so yeah, I, I'm with you, but it, it's been asked. And I think there's people out there that are pulling for the Bengals. There's probably not the same. I know there's not the same bitterness as with the Steelers or even with the Ravens. Um, so maybe that makes it easier. And I do think the OBJ factor is involved somewhat and the Rams aren't necessarily a likable team, right? Big market and, you know, the glitz of LA and they kind of put this superstar team together. Um, but yeah, I, I don't get it. Yeah. I, I don't get rooting for the Bengals. I know Joe Burrow, a lot of people like him. He's an Ohio kid. I kind of, um, I understand that part of it, but um, from a fan perspective, you know, if I flash back to my teenage fan years, Joe Burrow being an Ohio guy, that's a nice, seems like a nice guy. We're not overrule. Uh, the fact that they're the Bengals and they're one of your top rivals. Yeah, I, I agree. I just, uh, you know, now if I put money on the Bengals and I'm, you know, <laughs> can win some money or I have, you know, something like that, <laughs> that, that, that might be the case. But uh, 
yeah, it's just, uh, I think the OBJ factor is an interesting one, no doubt, because, you know, you, you just, if you're a Browns fan, especially one that, and let's be honest, the Bengals and Browns have had some exciting games over the years, but I, I wouldn't say, you know, the Bengals have never done too much to cost you, except for what was the, uh, is that 07 when they went down to Cincinnati oh, yeah. Yeah. and, and uh, blew it. But oh, I, I guess fair. just for younger fans, maybe people that haven't been around as much, maybe they don't sense the Bengals. They, you know, even though they have made the playoffs a few times, let's be honest. I mean, they hadn't won. They never won a road playoff game, right? And they hadn't right. won a playoff game what he won or whatever it was. So maybe there's that aspect to it. Like they just don't respect them as much. I don't know. I, I just – I just think I know for us growing up, like you had mentioned, it's just hard to, you know, and so many people, like you had mentioned, the last thing you want is for the Bengals to say, hey, we've won a Super Bowl and you haven't even been to one. Right. So, like, that was a good point brought up by you. So, I don't know. But, but, remember the but Sam- you have all these fans this year. Go ahead. No, I was just saying, remember Sam Weiss? You don't live in Cleveland, right? I mean. Yeah. <laughs> that's pretty harsh, right? Yeah. Oh, that was oh man, Boomer Esiason's, Chris Collinsworth, the icky shuffle. I mean, there there's so many things from when we were younger that you hated the Bengals. So I I don't know, but the OBJ thing that's real. I mean, there's there's so many Browns fans that are just like, oh my gosh, this guy didn't work out for us, and now he goes to the Super Bowl. So that's that's the one card I will say that I, I totally could understand. Yeah, I you know let's we'll get into Super Bowl a little bit more, and then. Um, I got a tea time coming up, so we can't do this forever. Um, but uh, OBJ, and I keep thinking about it, Sean, <laughs> and, and you're paying attention. You know, you turn on ESPN, you see Jarvis go on OBJ Zoom the other day, the Zoom interview. There's this, and it, you know, it's a national media thing, I, I would say. Um, but it's this story of, you know, redemption and resilience for Odell. They got himself out of this terrible situation in Cleveland. And now he's on the stage and he's helping the, you know, he helped the Rams get to the Super Bowl and he can do what he hasn't done in his career. And I I just think it's a bad narrative. I I think, and I'm working on a column. I don't know if I'll finish it. I'm kind of screwing around with it. I don't know if I like it enough, but the thrust of it is, I remember being in theology class at St. Ignatius and I'm talking about the end doesn't justify the means, right? And that's a huge philosophical discussion that we cannot have on this podcast right now. But the point is, just because Odell is in a Super Bowl, could win a Super Bowl, doesn't mean that he did the right thing by forcing himself out of Cleveland, right, and quitting on the Browns. Who's to say if Odell had stayed and worked things out with Baker and worked things out with Kevin Stefanski that the Browns couldn't be in the Super Bowl, right? Like, that, that's not some alternative universe. That it could have happened. And he decided he wasn't going to stay here. And by any means necessary, he forced his way out of town, including the dad video, you know, sharing that video that we all know about. So I think it's just wrong to say how resilient he is. And like, this is redemption story. The guy quit on his team like 10 weeks ago, right? It was, it was Halloween. He quit on his team. And now just because it worked out that the Rams could sign him, um, you know, is when he became a free agent after Brown's, did kind of did the right thing by him and cut him um, even though they forced his hand and it was after the trade deadline and all that, like it just doesn't sit well with me at all. And I I think you're kind of glossing over um, what really happened. Now that's not saying that the Browns 
didn't do a poor job getting him the ball. And I think they, we've talked about that a billion times. Baker should have thrown the ball to him more and hit and been more effective throwing it to him. Stefanski should have designed better plays, especially in the red zone. But that doesn't give a guy the right halfway through a season when he's getting paid to just quit on his team. And that's what Odell did. And I'm just not a fan of how it's being portrayed and how he's being portrayed. And that's nothing personal against Odell. I, I kind of like talk. I did like talking to him. I think there's, he's an interesting guy. I know he's likable and his teammates like him, his former teammates like him, right? They're pulling for him. The Browns fans, Browns players that Odell walked away from are pulling for him, which says something about his personality, but it doesn't mean he did the right thing. And it doesn't mean he should be glorified because he wound up with the Rams. Yeah, it's amazing, you know, to see him make some of the catches he makes now. And you're just like, wait, he was dropping those balls in Cleveland. And, you know, yeah. it's, it is. I mean, Odell, we've, gosh, I mean, what are, what are the two things we've talked about most on this podcast? Odell Beckham Jr. and Baker Mayfield, right? Yeah, I mean, right. It, we've, we've, done, uh, we've done a lot. All right, so you've upset a lot of people that uh, are, are digging out of the snow and loving this cold <laughs> weather as you get to go golf. So thanks for that. Sure. Uh, appreciate it. Uh, <laughs> so what do you think? Super Bowl, what's your thought? Yeah, I think it's a hard one to pick. I saw the line that it was four and a half for a while. And then in my, in the Chronicle, it was four, four points this morning. Um, I saw somewhere it dropped to three and a half. So between three and a half and four and a half. Um, I'm going to take the Rams, Chud. I think they win. I think they probably cover. Although I could see Joe Burrow leading a late drive to try to either a backdoor cover or win the game. Uh, but I think the Rams are more talented overall. And, you know, you look for matchups and mismatches. I think the Rams pass rush versus the Bengals protection, pass protection. Yeah. Could be the key. Not that, you know, Joe Burrow's won plenty of games, even though he's been sacked a billion times all year. We saw him do it in that playoff game against Tennessee, right? He sacked nine times. Still finds a way to win, um, but it's hard to do. It's hard to do the Super Bowl. Aaron Donald, Von Miller, Floyd coming off the edge. Um, I think that could be the difference in the game, especially late, right? If the Rams get a lead and the Bengals have to throw it uh, and they can get to Joe Burrow in the fourth quarter, I think that could be how they cover. You know, if it's a close game and then who knows, maybe there's a turnover or like I said, Burrow needs a late score and the pass rush is just too strong. Um, I like the fact that they have Jalen Ramsey in their secondary, the Rams, and that should help slow down somebody, whether it's Jamar Chase or T Higgins and take away one of Burrow's favorite options. So I'm not saying there's no way the Bengals can win. I think there is certainly a way that they could do it. If they run the ball really well, maybe if they screen, the crap out of the Rams and slow down that pass rush. But, you know, we saw it last year in the Super Bowl. The Chiefs could not block the Buccaneers, and Mahomes had no chance. And I could see it being a similar – probably not as bad because the Chiefs had a bunch of injuries on that O-line. But I think it could be a similar situation, especially late in the game. So I'll take the Rams in a, a celebratory Odell Beckham Jr. Oh, my gosh. Do you have a score? Uh, yeah, give me, um, I think we're gonna have some points. Um, give me 27, 20, 27, 20. 
All right. Uh, you know, I'm torn on this one because I just think this game sums up exactly what's happening right now in the NFL where it's difficult to pick these games. And then, and then, you know, minus the, the first week where, you know, it, it wasn't as difficult, I think, just in general through the regular season and through the playoffs, especially the last two weeks. Uh, you know, I guess three yeah. weeks now actually have an extra week. I guess what I'm getting at is, I don't know. Do you do you feel like it could go either way, or do you feel pretty solid on the Rams? Like, are you giving the Bengals any shot? Because I I feel like it really could go either way, and, I, and that's not a cop out, but I really could see it. Uh, you know, I totally buy everything you just said. Like, I have zero argument for what you just said, and could totally see a Rams victory. Yeah, I think I feel better about the Rams than you do. Um, like, I, I thought the line would have been smaller. I know four and a half is not huge but I didn't think it would open that big and you know I don't think home field is gonna matter right the Rams don't have a big crowd anyway and it's mostly corporate um but maybe that's in the spread somehow but I didn't think it was gonna be four and a half uh I thought it'd be closer but I I I just I feel like I I guess my point is I was always on the Rams from the second the matchup was set I thought it was gonna be the Rams I've when I've thought about it during the last couple of weeks, I said, okay, yeah, I can see a way the Bengals win. Um, without without much, you know, you don't have to get to go through a bunch of gymnastics to get to a Bengals win. But I just like I just like the Rams roster better. You know, Burr, I think Burrow and Stafford are really close. You know, when you talk about how different, how much a quarterback matters, I think they're really close. I think they can both throw a, a killer interception. Uh, I think they can also both make huge throws and they both have weapons. So, yeah, I mean, I, I could see it going either way, but I feel pretty good about the Rams being the better overall team. All right, let's have some fun. I'm going to go Bengals and I'm going to just say that the magical ride continues and, you know, you wouldn't have thought they could beat the Chiefs and they did it. Not only did they do it, but they did it at Kansas City. They won two games before that. I just think that, Maybe the magic continues, and I'm not saying I'm rooting for it necessarily, but I'm going to go Burrow and Chase, that those two guys find a way to get it done, a little mixing uh, spread in there. And uh, I do agree the offensive line, that's a major concern, but uh, I just think somehow they find a way to get it done, and the Bengals' defense maybe gets a turnover or two, and somehow they, they pull this off. I'm going to go Bengals 26, Rams 23. Wow. All right. Well, it should be a good game either way. Um, cool. So we're against, we're on opposite sides for this one. Hey, should I got to throw this number at you? My buddy and coworker, Sean Bennett, wanted to check how the Browns have done against teams that won the Super Bowl, right? So obviously the Browns swept the Bengals this year. So of all the Super Bowls, guess how many times the Browns have beaten the Super Bowl champion? Uh, oh, you know, I feel like I remember seeing this once before. Meaning, if they had played the if they played during the season, right? season, if they played during the season, so that, I'll, uh, so I'll tell you, like they, they, thirty-one times they played the eventual Super Bowl champion, either in the regular season or the playoffs. Okay, all right. So you got thirty-one, and um, I but like one year, a couple years, like maybe ten years ago or something, they beat the Patriots in the regular season, right. and then they went on to win the Super Bowl or something like that. Exactly. Yeah. 31. Uh, I'll go 
21 and 10. Well, according to Sean, and I've not double checked, but I trust him, the Browns are one and 30. They've won one game. He says it was oh. nine, he says <laughs> 19, 1981 against the 49ers. They won in candlestick. And then the 49ers went on to win that Super Bowl. They're 0 and 12 versus Steelers when they won yeah. all their Super Bowls. 0 and 4 versus the Ravens. Um, yeah, he said that, that against the Patriots, um, they really they lost to New England in 2001, 3, 4, and 16. So I thought that was I thought that was stunning, right? I, I yeah, well, yeah, I totally misread that. I just yeah. was like I. Well, I wasn't even thinking. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. I mean, the Browns had good teams, right, for, for plenty of those years. I mean, yeah. the Browns were good in the 60s. They were good in the 80s. Um, but, yeah, so I thought that, was, I, you know, Sean was curious and went and looked it up. I was like, oh, my gosh. I would never have thought that would be how it worked out. Anyway. I got a wild one. I got a wild one for you real quick before before you go uh, tee off. Um, <laughs> I tweeted this the other day. Um I heard Al Michaels, uh, by the way, I, I, um, I heard an Al Michaels interview the other day that was outstanding. Mm-hmm. And uh, he, he had mentioned that they hadn't talked to Burrow yet and hadn't seen him. Collinsworth on an interview that was just on our show this morning said they hadn't seen him. Why? Because the Bengals weren't on Sunday night football this year. Think wow. about that. That's the marquee game, right? Yeah. Sun, used to be Monday night football, but let's be honest. Sure. Sunday night football is kind of the marquee game, all right? And yeah. the Bengals weren't on Sunday night football one time. When do you, I mean, I, I don't know the answer. When do you think the last time a Super Bowl team wasn't on Sunday night football? Like, just yeah. think about the Chiefs who be going to the Super Bowl last few years. They are always on Sunday. Usually the team, the Patriots, Tampa Bay, whatever it is, usually the team that's it. Both teams in the Super Bowl probably were on Sunday night football. That just oh. shows you how remarkable this is. Well, for sure. I mean, you're probably flashing back to, I don't know, that Rams team that came out of nowhere to win a Super Bowl or maybe the Patriots team, the, the first Patriots team that came out of nowhere, you know, with Brady. Um, but yeah, it, it's been a while, right? I don't think we've had such a turnaround, right? I mean, that's a perfect example. And the Bengals won four games last year. Um, two years ago, they were whatever, two and 14, one and 15, whatever it was. So yeah, that's just a great example of how far they've come so quickly and even in one year if they're not on Sunday Night Football. That's that's crazy. I uh, hope everybody enjoys the Super Bowl. Um, I don't know if we'll do this again next week to talk Super Bowl or we'll do it, but uh, we got the combine coming up right at the beginning of March, so there'll be still brown stuff to talk about. Then we go into free agency. So um, we'll be talking to you soon if it's not next week. So thank you, Dave Chodowski of Go, the WKYC Morning News. This has been another episode of the Brown Zone Zone Coverage Podcast, and you can read all my work at brownzone.com. Thanks a lot.